All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I've been wondering for a long time about the privacy paradox. If I said Jim Smith earlier, now it says suggested friend, Jim Smith. How creepy is that? And I'm always suspicious. I'm like, how are they getting my name? We need to treat the data with the utmost seriousness and confidentiality. I realized I was giving Google all of my children's faces. Welcome back to Note to Self's special week-long project, The Privacy Paradox. This is our five-part plan to help you take back your digital identity and yourself. I'm Manoush Zamarodi. Day one was called What Your Phone Knows, and we delved into metadata. This is day two, and it's called The Search for Your Identity. You know who you are, but who do the algorithms think you are? How do they see us? Today, we're going to dig into online advertising and how our identities get sorted, defined, and tracked. If you just found Note to Self in this project, you can head over to privacyparadox.org to sign up. It takes less than a minute. Our goal is to help you understand more about where your information goes, to weigh the trade-offs, and then make digital decisions that you can feel better about. If you haven't already, go back and listen to our launch episode, The Paradox of Privacy. It explains a lot more the economics and technology behind what we're talking about, too. Let's get on with today's challenge and the search for your identity. Americans shop like crazy. That's what we do. Joseph Toro is a professor of communications at the University of Pennsylvania. He's studied the marketing and advertising industry for decades, and he has a new book out called The Isles Have Eyes, How Retailers Track Your Shopping, Strip Your Privacy, and Define Your Power. If we go back, say, before 1840, most of the shopping activity, if we want to call it that, had to do with peddlers. Peddlers. Guys who went door-to-door, they'd come right to your house with something just right for you. Fabric, a pocket knife, the Bible. And of course, it was at a just-right price. Think of it as the original direct marketing. They would know the people. They would often give them credit, okay, based on what they knew about them. And their dealings with them were based on their stereotyping of them, Mm. what they thought they made, what they thought they lived like, what they thought they wanted. And they would only show them certain goods and not other goods. Fast forward a couple decades, and the department store begins to take over the American shopping experience. Everything was laid out for people to see, all at the same price, no matter who you were. Does fighting traffic when you shop almost make you blow your top? Put an end to traffic fears. It's very easy to get to Sears. There was a kind of mercantile democracy. 
People went into stores. They saw these incredible these stores were like cathedrals, new religions. And then, just before the turn of the most recent century, the peddler is back, sort of. Beginning around 1995, and that's really the beginning of the commercial internet, we're back to the future. Mm. More and more, we're beginning to see prices like what the peddler did. But now, instead of a guy with a wagon full of dry goods sizing you up, it's the algorithms doing it. As a result of your being profiled in ways that you don't have any clue about, okay, that you may not even want, based on sometimes thousands of data points that you have no awareness of, you are getting different prices sometimes, certain kinds of ads, certain kinds of opportunities that other people aren't getting or other people may be getting the ones that you're not getting. Our friend Julia Angwin at ProPublica calls this mass customization. She did an investigation as part of ProPublica's project called Breaking the Black Box. She wanted to find out more about how that profiling happens, particularly on Facebook. Last time you were here, Julia, you told me and our listeners about uh, this digital tool that you and your team at ProPublica built. And what it did, you sort of you put it into your browser on your computer, and you could use this tool to pull up Facebook's ad preferences page. How many people actually ended up using this tool since we last spoke in September. So we were really surprised, but more than 50,000 people downloaded Whoa. it. Yeah. And we got a huge amount of data that people contributed to us, more than 52,000 different categories that Facebook assigns people to. Did you know that there were that many different thousands of categories? No, we had no idea how many categories there were. Usually in the world of ad targeting, a couple thousand categories, three or four, is considered a lot. And can you just give us an example of maybe a couple of the categories that struck you? I mean, like soccer moms, that seems like (laughs) that must have been on there somewhere. So, I mean, the one that was totally weird to everybody was pretending to text in awkward situations. That's a category of person? That is a category that Facebook has that people are in. People were creeped out about sort of like the ones where they said, oh, you're away from family or you're in a long-distance relationship. So clearly they knew things that you might not have meant to reveal. So 52,000 people use the tool that ProPublica built. They reveal – Coincidentally, that there are also over 52,000 different classifications that Facebook puts them in. Is there anywhere else where they get the data from other than what we're doing on Facebook then? Well, the thing is there are two other places that we know Facebook gets data. One is when you travel around the web and you click on websites that contain some Facebook code. Also, we know they buy data from third-party data brokers. Back in the old days, they were the ones selling mailing lists for junk mail. And they buy a lot of data about you. For instance, they might find your property records, which are public, your DMV registrations, your voting records, and compile a dossier about your mortgage, your house size, your income levels. They buy that. Okay, so who cares? What's the big deal? Yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a big deal. I think that the big deal is what level of transparency are they providing for you about what they know about you. What also occurred to us, though, when we saw that they were using ethnic affinities, which are affinities for a race, can be sensitive. Before we go any further, let's just take a minute to define this term, ethnic affinity. 
Julia and her colleagues saw that Facebook was categorizing people based on which race they had an affinity with. Like, for example, let's take note-to-self producer Kat Aaron. Kat is white, but Facebook categorized her as having African-American affinity. It could be because Facebook thinks she likes hip-hop music. Maybe it's because many of her Facebook friends are black. We don't know for sure. But the point is, advertisers can use these ethnic affinity categories to then target or exclude certain people from seeing certain ads. So after learning this, ProPublica thought, well, let's do an experiment. And they bought a Facebook ad for an event that they happened to be having about housing. And they specifically clicked to exclude anyone with African-American, Asian-American, or Hispanic affinity from seeing this ad. And our ad was approved. No problem. No problem. I think it took a few minutes, 10 minutes. And we asked a fair housing lawyer who litigates on this issue all the time about the fair housing laws, which are the most strict about not having um, prohibitions by race. And he said, oh, that's crazy. It's totally illegal. The fair housing lawyer thought the ad was illegal because blocking people from seeing ads for housing or credit or loans by race is illegal. So ProPublica went back to Facebook, who said, well, you're not actually advertising housing, just an event about housing, so it's fine. But other people did not think it was fine. After facing a lot of pressure from Congress and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Facebook said it would build a new system to make sure advertisers stay in line when it comes to those ad categories. But that doesn't mean that advertisers can't use ethnic affinity to advertise other things, things that aren't illegal. That's a level of sophistication that is Facebook's greatest strength, right? That's why people buy ads there, so you can pick tiny little categories and target, and they have so many people that you can probably find people. If you want people who wear alpaca sweaters and ski and wear a certain kind of boot, you probably can find them on Facebook, right? And so that's their key to success. They don't see it as making moral choices. The U.S. is one of the only Western nations that doesn't have a law requiring commercial data brokers to give us access to our own data and the right to opt out. One listener told us she really wished she'd had that right recently. She asked to stay anonymous, and this is not her real voice. I felt recently that I've had some problems with drinking a little bit more than I should. I don't know if it's a huge problem, but this morning I was actually just kind of Googling to see what my options were and if I could talk to someone. And then I logged into Facebook, and the first ad that I saw was for my local liquor store. And there's just something so inherently offensive in that I don't even really know how to react to that. I mean, it wasn't like I was getting ads for therapy or something helpful. You know, they just took this information that was so shameful and exploited it. Joseph Turo, our UPenn professor, says that most people's reaction might be, well, You know, this is what advertising is. And that's what I hear all the time from people. It's just marketing. It's just advertising. All of this gets put into databases, which then create profiles of us, which in the end have an impact upon how you're defined in your life without your at all having any idea what that definition is. So you're saying that's awesome that you got a great pair of shoes, but what about your civil liberties? What about the fact that you are contributing to the degradation of 
privacy in our society. Exactly. We're moving into a world where people will begin to see the shopping experience as corrosive. We're also, in our shopping behavior, rehearsing the idea that it's okay to give up your information. And this is sort of setting a pattern for a future society in which surveillance will be totally taken for granted. Joseph says we should try to turn this creepy situation into a merely crappy one. Even people in the Senate, in Senate hearings I've been, have called it creepy. To me, what creepy means is it's something we don't like, but also don't understand. We have to go from creepy to crappy. Okay, so that brings us to today's challenge. In the name of going from creepy to just crappy, from not knowing what we're dealing with and feeling resigned to getting the full picture, we want you to visit a specific website today. A website that was created by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, EFF. They created something called Panopticlick. So when you go to panopticlick.eff.org, don't worry, it's in the newsletter, there will be a big button in the middle that says, test me. Click it, and the website will give your browser a checkup. It'll see how well it's protecting you from being tracked. Okay, so when I ran Panopticlick on my laptop on the Firefox browser, I learned that, yes, my browser was blocking ads and invisible trackers, but it was not protecting me from something called digital fingerprinting. Digital fingerprinting is all the little special things about your browser, like the time zone, the font, the screen resolution. Combine all those things, an advertiser can figure out exactly who you are and track you even if you've deleted cookies or turned off other trackers. For some of you, just using Panopticlick and seeing what is happening when you're online, that may be satisfying enough. Others, you might want to then use a browser add-on, like I did. I chose something called Privacy Badger. So it's this little tool you can download, also from EFF. And now this little badger head is in the upper right-hand corner of my browser. And if I click it, it will show me who has been tracking me. And then I can choose to disappear right in front of those advertisers' eyes. By the way, the data collected at panopticlick.eff.org is anonymous. But trust me, you will not feel anonymous after you test it out. And if you want to search for something very sensitive online, we also have information about using the anonymous Tor browser. That's T-O-R. I'll admit, I don't use it. Extra credit if you already use Tor or you've given it a try. So that's it. We are asking you to go from creepy to just crappy today, to knowing a little more about that thing that you spend so much of your time on understanding how it actually works. Let us know how it goes, okay? Use your phone to record a voice memo. You don't have to say your name. And send it to note to self at WNYC.org. We're going to be taking action with your new knowledge as the week goes on. Speaking of which, tomorrow is day three of the privacy paradox. Day three is called something to hide. You know, like when people say, I've got nothing to hide. Let the NSA have at all my information. I am so boring. Well, why that phrase is a bunch of baloney. That's tomorrow. Thanks so much for doing this with us. 
The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to all the wonderful people here at WNYC Studios for all their help this week. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. Hey, Manoush. This is Summer from Denton, Texas. So I've been watching the uh, Hulu streaming service lately, and I've been seeing a lot of commercials for an adoption service. And my question is, does Hulu know that I'm in my third trimester of pregnancy? If so, tell them they can't have my baby.